The Productive Woman, episode 299. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thanks so much for joining me. In this episode, I am going to be sharing with you my conversation with marketing and communications consultant, Eva Janata. You'll find more information about Eva, along with links to resources she recommends and the ways you can connect with her online in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 299. And now let's get right into my conversation with Eva. I'm so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Eva Janata. Eva is a consultant providing marketing and communications advice to North America's most recognized women entrepreneurs and leaders, offering thought leadership, marketing, and social media strategy to women who serve women. Prior to starting her business, Eva worked in corporate for a chain of grocery stores. She grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and got her degrees in gender and women's studies and English literature. And today she lives in Phoenix, Arizona with her partner, Steve. And I have really been looking forward to talking with her about how she's making a life that matters. So welcome, Eva. Thanks, Laura. I'm really glad to be here. Well, this is a, we were having a fun conversation before I ever hit record, and so uh, it's it's fun to to continue that. I shared a little bit about you know kind of your official bio, but maybe before we get into talking about what it means to you to make a life that matters and how you're doing that, maybe tell us a little more about who you are and what you do, you know, what you're interested in, whatever you think would be useful for us to know as a backdrop for our conversation. Sure. Yes. So I have been working for myself for about five years, a little over five years, and I never intended to be an entrepreneur. My path was is, is as nonlinear as everyone else's. But I, you know, I was working in corporate, and I really loved that job, but it just wasn't the right fit, and it kind of fell apart for a few different reasons. And I decided. Like at that time, I was living in a group house. My rent was low. Like I didn't have any responsibilities, and I thought this is a good time to see if I can myself. So I like dove off into the deep end, had no plan, worked part-time at a grocery store while I got my act together and uh, started growing my business through word of mouth. And so, you know, productivity is super important for almost everyone, but I've had to learn a lot about it when it's just me in the business wearing all of the hats and, really needing to to fill all the roles for myself. And now I have a small team. So I'm excited for this conversation. And in terms of other things about me, I love to read fantasy novels. So that's kind of like my hobby number one when I'm not working or hanging out with friends and family. And I also, as of a little over a year ago, started weightlifting as my kind of physical outlet. And that has been a really welcome and really wonderful addition to my to my life. Interesting. So weightlifting competitively or just for the fun of it? Really for the fun of it. You know, it came out of it was it was the kind of thing where I wanted to do it for a long time, but I was really scared. 
because I always felt very awkward and self-conscious in gyms. I always felt self-conscious about my not having a lot of great upper body strength, not being able to do a lot of push-ups. And so I just, it was something, it was a project I wanted to do for myself. And maybe I'll compete one day. I don't know. That's not the goal at the time. Right now it's just been such a, like, just so welcome to see myself become stronger and to just have that self-consciousness fall away and to feel really capable physically for the first time in my life. And not to mention, Laura, it's so good for my brain. You know, when I have a crazy work day and I, my mind is hyperventilating and then I go and I lift and I feel like a totally different person, you know, everyone who says you should exercise turns out they're all right. <laughs> you know, it's so true. And it's, it's interesting that you're, you, you we're talking about this now because it's something that's been on my mind. Um, there was a period of time where I was going to a gym, you know, several times a week and working out with a trainer and, um, you know, strength training was part of that. And I did feel different in my own skin during that time. It really had nothing to do with weight loss or anything other than what you were talking about, that feeling of strength and of competence of being able to do certain things. And so it's, I've been thinking about, I need to do something like that again now. It's, it's about time. So we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the nitty gritty about how you're getting the things done that are important to you. But I think it's helpful to have some context for that uh, because what works for you is probably like for all of us, a function of what you do during the day. And so as a little bit of a backdrop to that conversation, if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? Yeah. My typical day starts, you know, I wake up usually between 5.30 and 6.30 to get out of bed. And I've always been a morning person. Even as a teenager, I like was not very good at sleeping in. I love to be up with the sun. And so I start my day in a really gentle fashion. I, you know, for you and me and, and all of your listeners, like we have a lot of demands on our time. So it's really important to me that the morning that I don't put any demands on myself so I usually spend a couple of hours in the morning, you know, my partner sleeps in later than I, so I have the house to myself and I, I'll make myself a cup of tea or a, a hot latte and I'll sit in my rocking chair and I'll just let myself be. And sometimes I take a walk, sometimes I meditate, sometimes I do a little stretching. I, I really like to have my mornings be very kind of flexible for whatever I feel like doing. And then I typically start work, you know, I, even though I work for myself and I could technically work whenever, it's helpful for me to have structure. Mm -hmm. So I typically start work around eight or nine. I work usually to about five or six. And then a couple of days a week, I'll do an hour-ish workout after work. And then my partner and I take turns making dinner. So we, and then we have dinner together. And that's pretty standard. My, my days typically unfold like that. Yeah. And do you, for your workout, do you do that from home? Do you go to a gym? How does that work into your schedule? Yeah, well, back in the day before uh, the global pandemic, I did go to the gym about four times a week. Uh, one of those times I would meet with my trainer, but usually I'd be on my own. And now we've all had to adapt. So now I usually do them from home. So I don't have like a, a home gym or anything. It's very scrappy and, you know, in the courtyard outside my apartment using whatever the heck. I can use, but it still helps so much to go outside 
and do something with my body, not just with my mind, do something that doesn't involve looking at a screen. Uh, and it really helps me kind of unwind from the day and transition out of work mode and into like evening mode. Yeah. I like that idea of doing that at the end of the workday like that, because I, you know, I always think of workout as something to do in the morning, partly because I'm one of those that I, I don't really enjoy working out. I enjoy having worked out, <laughs> you know, and if I don't yeah. do it early, <laughs> I'm not likely to do it. Um, but I like that idea of using that as kind of the buffer between the workday and the, you know, the off time, uh, especially now as we're recording this, uh, a, a lot of the United States and much of the world is still in some level of lockdown and stay at home. And, um, it, if you are working from home, it's hard to find that boundary between work and not work. And so yeah. using, using some sort of physical movement, whether it's strength training, like you're talking about, or even just going for a walk or, you know, doing something like that to kind of make that break between, okay, the work day's over. Now I'm going to do this and then go into, you know, personal life. So I like that idea. Yeah. And I used to, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I used to be on the same page with working out in the morning. I would like get up, leave my house, go do all, pack all my things, go, go to the gym, like go to my co-working space or a coffee shop or whatever afterward. But I really found that it works so much better for me. And I know you're an introvert too, Laura, from listening to your show. And I am as well. And I just find that that solitude and gentleness in the morning sets me up for a much better day in terms of how my energy is and what I feel like doing. Whereas when I would kind of shove myself out the door in the morning to work out, I would just feel very rushed right from the get go. And it, it's much more, been much more pleasant for me to switch that around and to start my morning gently and close it with that sort of physical outlet. I love that. Okay. So Every person's life is a little different, presents different kinds of challenges as far as staying productive, getting those things done that matter to them. What would you say are your biggest challenges when it comes to being productive as you define it and in the way that you want to be? Yeah, that's a great question because there are so, there are so many challenges, but I would say one of the biggest ones, I would, I would summarize it as the tension between doing the work and being in the work mm. and you know whether your listeners are entrepreneurs or, or work in corporate or work for others like there, there's a time where you have to spend like you have to be creative right you have to have the time and the space to solve problems and to think through the project or to manage the team or to plan your time and I find that creating time to do that and then creating the time to execute to do the work like making sure I toggle between those two enough is really can be tough. Mm. You know, the creative side of it, you know, sitting and being and thinking and having ideas and then, you know, giving those ideas legs. And the challenge with that is that everything always takes longer than you think it will. Mm. And the energy you have to execute is not the same throughout the day. It's not the same throughout the week or throughout the month. And so I, find too that I need to be really pragmatic about the expectations I set for myself. And that is a continual struggle. Like I nearly always find that my expectations are higher than is realistic for me in a given day. 
Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of us. We are notoriously as human beings um, bad at at gauging how long something takes and, you know, yeah. and how much, you know, how much time we're going to need to use to, um, to get something done. And so I, I always recommend to people, if you are, you feel like your, your time is always getting away from you, a really good exercise to do is to take a step back and for a few days or even a week, keep a log of what you're doing and how long it takes you to do the regular tasks that you do and get that real sense of, of how much time it you are spending on the various components of your work or your life, whatever it is you're sort of trying to figure out. And I think for most of us, that's a very enlightening uh, project because you find out, well, I think it takes me this long to, you know, write a report or, you know, clean the bathroom or whatever the thing is, but it actually takes me, you know, one and a half times that much. Or I think I'm only spending, you know, half an hour a day watching TV and I'm actually spending, you know, four times that or whatever it may be. And so really, um, being very conscious of how long it takes you to do things a, and how much time you're spending on those various areas can be really helpful in, uh, kind of structuring your day a little better and getting the time for the things that are most important to you. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Laura, because I have been time tracking in some form or other since my my career in corporate. So it's been, you know, probably six or seven years. And I find that that data is so valuable because your mind is not very reliable, like when it comes to reality, like how long you think <laughs> something's going to take, how long you thought you spent on something, just like you said. And so I use a, a free tool called Toggle. It's T-O-G-G-L.com, which is like just a a timer basically on your, that you can have on your browser. And that helps me so much just to know where my time is going and to kind of gauge how much I want to spend on each thing. But that's also, and I'd be curious what you, what your experience with this is, Laura, like a lot of folks recommend um, time blocking or the Pomodoro technique of 40 minutes or 50 minutes on and 10 minutes off for projects. And I found that to not work that well for me because I'll estimate that I'm going to spend 90 minutes on something and then 90 minutes is up and I'm really in the zone and I don't want to stop working on it either for a break or to task switch. And so I find that really trying to like commit, you know, two hours or one hour or whatever to specific tasks and then be really strict about moving on. It it doesn't work that well for me. What, What is, what do you think about, about that? I think that's true for a lot of people. All of those things you mentioned, whether it's Pomodoros or, or time blocking or anything, those are just tools. They are things we can have in our toolbox for managing our day and our time and our tasks and pull them out when they make sense. You don't, you know, just like you don't use a hammer to, to, you know, drive a screw in, you, you want to use the right tool for the right job and for, you know, for whatever works for you and the kind of work that you're doing. Time blocking can be useful in, I think, in the macro sense of looking at your week and saying, okay, I've got these errands to run. Rather than, you know, going to one of them on this day and one of them on that day, I see I've got to go to the dentist on Thursday. I'm going to batch all my errands that, you know, before or after that dentist appointment, rather than having to leave and go out 
several times a week because it's more efficient or I've got a bunch of phone calls I need to make. Maybe I'll do all of those together. So I'm in that mode uh, and I've got all the information I need to take care of those all at once. And then that, that to me, that's a matter of efficiency, but blocking out and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm working on this project that requires a lot of deep thought, creative thinking, problem solving or whatever. And I'm going to give myself X period of time. I think you're right for, uh, for, for some people that works for others. If you find yourself at the end of your time and the, you know, the Pomodoro timer goes off and you think, Oh, wait a minute, I've just figured it out. Um, yeah. I say, you know, turn off the timer and keep going. Yeah. So I, I think we all have to find what works for us in the circumstances that we're working in. That's a really good point. And I forget that sometimes Laura, because you know, I tend to be perfectionist and I try to coach myself through that, but I just, those are, that's kind of my default setting. And so I find with like, I feel like I need to use the tool all the time in order for it to count. Mm-hmm. And it reminds, you know, your analogy about like, you wouldn't try to hammer in a screw reminds me that the tool, like the goal with tools is not perfection or consistency. It's using them at the right time for the right purpose. And yeah, and yeah I find that I just need to, coach myself through that again and again. Like for example, I got a planner this year called the daily greatness. And for about a month I was using it like crazy, like all the exercises, all of the prompts, all the things. And then it sort of fell by the wayside a little bit. And sometimes I pick it up and sometimes I don't. And I find that I feel guilty. Like I'm Mm -hmm. cheating myself by not always using the planner and always doing all the things. And I have to be like, Eva, this, this planner does not run your life. You run your life and you use the planner when it makes sense to. Yeah. It's very easy to let the tools kind of take over and become an end unto themselves. And we do really have to remind ourselves the goal isn't to have a perfectly completed planner at the end of the year. The goal is to (laughs) have a life that is lived the way I have decided I want it to be lived. The goal is to (laughs) accomplish the things that are important to me. uh, And whatever tool helps me do that, sometimes it's going to be some beautiful ornate planner or, you know, digital task manager. And sometimes it's going to be a three by five card on the desk that has the three things I've got to get done today. Whatever works for you is the right tool. And, and when you use them in the way that serves you, then you're using them perfectly. That's such a good reminder. I think a lot of us struggle with what you were talking about as being a challenge of finding the right balance of the time to do the, the creative thinking and the time to execute on the ideas and the plans that come out of that creative thinking. What do you use? Are there any particular tools or systems you use to sort of conquer that challenge or to try to address it anyway? Yes, I would say what's been really, really helpful for me is being very honest with myself and being a honest observer of myself and noticing like when I have the energy to do certain things. And so, like I said, I'm a morning person. And so if I have a big chunk of writing to do for a client or for myself, or if I need to sit and brainstorm ideas, I'm just not going to do that at 4 PM. I just won't. And so I need to make sure that I don't schedule calls too early in the day that I preserve the morning for my most deep 
thinking work. And so then I, and then I have to make sure I'm disciplined about that. And like, of course, sometimes there are exceptions and I get on a call at nine in the morning, but by and large, that's just a personal boundary that I need to be careful that I respect. Yeah. And another thing that I find really helpful when I'm trying to do this, the, the big, the being work where you're being thoughtful and creative and intentional is I've got to turn my freaking phone off. Mm. I've got to, I, I use airplane mode a lot or else I put my phone like far away for like in a different room. And I've got to make sure that I, again, like am self-disciplined and have this boundary. Like I'm not allowed to check my text when I'm doing this project. And I just, it helps me so much to just remove the temptation entirely. Mm-hmm. And that way no one can call me either. And I don't open my email. I actually, I use Gmail and I'm a huge fan of the, um, the boomerang. I guess it's like a plugin that you mm-hmm. can add to your Chrome browser to delay your emails from coming in. That helps me so much because sometimes I need to get in my email to see what a client wrote me or to check something. And if I have five new emails, I will inevitably fall down the rabbit hole of reading them and getting distracted. And so in terms of making sure that I make my best effort to get the most important work done. I got to do it in the morning and I've got to minimize distractions. Yeah. That's good advice for all of us. How did you come to the recognition that the morning was your best time for doing that creative thinking, the problem solving, those sorts of things? Is that just, was it trial and error? Was it just you know, paying attention and and noticing this is, I, I, if I do this, this time of day, it's, I'm more effective at it. If I try to do it later, I won't be as effective. What, how, how did you kind of reach that conclusion? Because I do get questions sometimes from people who are saying, I, I haven't figured out, you know, when I should be doing what. Yeah. For me, it was because like I said before, but being a, a, trying to be an astute observer of myself, and I just started to notice a pattern where I, you know, you can probably relate to this part and your listeners too. Like there's the, there's the kind of productivity where you feel like you're taking a bunch of things off your list, but they're, they're small things like emails or, or small tasks. And then there's the kind of productivity where you create something tremendous and it takes a long time and you're pretty drained afterward. And it doesn't feel productive in the same way because it's not usually something you can check off of your to-do list, but it's a big, important project. Mm-hmm. And I found that, like, I would start my morning and I would get kind of stuck in this feeling of productivity of, like, writing emails and doing small things that I could tick off my list. And at the bottom of my list were these big projects. And I thought, oh, I'll just do them later after I get to inbox zero or whatever, which I've never gotten to inbox zero, by the way. (laughs) And then, you know, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. would come and I just would never do it. I didn't have the energy and I could always convince myself that I could put it off. Mm -hmm. And so I just noticed that was a pattern. And it made me feel bad. Like it didn't feel good to close the day being disappointed in myself, having not progressed on the project. And like you know, I guess you can brag about your, the state of your inbox, but your inbox emails come in constantly. You're never going to win at your email. Right. So, but you can win at progressing on an important project. And so I noticed I was never doing it at night. And, you know, I looked back on my life and I realized I've always been an early riser. I'm always more energetic in the morning. I don't tend to want to socialize very late in the day. I don't like to stay up very late. I just don't feel as good at that time. 
So noticing kind of the pattern of my life and then the pattern of the product by productivity or my lack of productivity made me realize that I had to switch things around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because activity can be a really good, um, focus for procrastination on those things that are so important to us, but that are maybe a little intimidating because they require that higher level thinking. They, they require work because you, like you mentioned, it's the kind of thing that you get totally absorbed in once you get going, but you're drained after you've done it because it's taken every bit of uh, mental and, and, psychological resources you have to focus on that thing and contemplating starting something like that can be overwhelming. And it's very, very easy. I do it. You know, I find myself tempted to this frequently of saying, well, let me just knock out all these other things first so I can really (laughs) focus on it. So you sort of exchange activity for true productivity in the sense of getting that thing done that matters most. Because I really think being truly productive isn't about getting stuff done. It's about getting the right stuff done. And nobody can tell you what that is except yourself. You know, when you're checking lots of things off the list that are not as important, you know they're not as important. And you know that what you're doing is procrastinating on this thing that feels a little intimidating to you. I really like the difference you made there with activity versus true productivity. Like it's helpful to have different words for those two things. And I agree. Sometimes you're right. I think a lot of it was that I was, I was avoiding the scary big project. And sometimes I find that part of my way of being is that like my mind needs some time to get used to doing, to get used to the idea of doing the big scary project. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, part of setting realistic expectations for myself is I'll give myself a week to just think about the fact that I'm going to do that thing rather than try to make myself do it tomorrow. And it really has helped me make progress to set, to have that expectation of myself that it's going to take me a little bit more time than maybe it quote unquote should to progress on this thing because I need, my mind wants some time to get used to the idea. Yeah, I like that. And sometimes what you can do during that period is you, first of all, you've given yourself permission that I'm not going to start on this tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to start out in a week. I'm just going to think about it between now and then. And have a place that if, as you're kind of pondering it in the background, an idea comes to you or something, have a place to capture that idea. Not, I'm not working on it yet. I'm just, I'm just making a note to myself for when I do start on it. I really like that, that then you, you let your brain kind of go to work on it and good stuff can come out of that. Yeah. You let your brain work on it in the background. And I don't know, tell me if you find this to be true, Laura, but I find I'll kind of be nervous about starting a project for a week and then I sit down and do it and it's so much easier and more enjoyable (laughs) than I thought it would be. Does that happen to you too? Oh yeah. It's always the, the starting is always the hardest part because you're diving into the unknown and we build these things up in our minds as this big, intimidating, overwhelming thing. And we do that with lots of things. I, I certainly do. And, and then it turns out to be not that big a deal at all. And you sort of, it, it makes me think of a story from when I was a, a little girl 
I hated immunizations, you know, when I was old enough to know that we were getting them. And I know um, my mom had taken us into the doc, my sister and and me, into the doctor for whatever our booster shot was supposed to be. And I was probably five or six years old. And we we got ourselves worked up into a complete dither over this booster shot. And to the point that they had to, we took off running. They had to chase us around, hold us down for these. And it turned out it was, it was a, a polio booster and they just put something, you know, a liquid under our tongue. It wasn't even a shot. And so we had worked oh ourselves God. up into a thing over something that wasn't a thing at all. And that's what I think of when, when I think of what you were just describing, we, we build this thing up in our minds as being this massive project that that may well not be that that bad at all once you actually get started you kind of get over the inertia and get going and you get that momentum and and it it's much easier than you expected absolutely thank goodness <laughs> definitely so You've mentioned a few of the tools that you use to overcome that kind of uh, ba- finding that balance between the, as you described it, the the being and the business and the doing. Um, are there any other particular tools that you like or resources you recommend for managing your time or or anything like that related to productivity? Some of the tools and resources that have been useful to you. Yeah, I would say one that I use a lot in addition to the ones I've mentioned is Asana, which is a digital project management, team management, task management tool. And I find that super helpful because first off, I can have my team join my account so we can all collaborate on the same client project. But also, you know, so much of getting things done and being productive requires planning in advance and Just also, like you said earlier, acknowledging when you're going to do something if you're not going to do it soon, but you want to make sure you remember to do it later. I really like Asana for that because, yeah, I guess I could put all the future tasks in my calendar, but I don't want my calendar to be flooded with, I want my calendar to be for appointments involving other people and for my tasks to be in a list in Asana. And that really helps me put a task that's due in a week or two for either a project or a client thing I need to check up on. And I can categorize it and I can color code it and I can organize it in different ways. And so that's really helped me not lose track of anything important and also make sure that I pace myself in terms of when I'm going to work on certain projects. I like Asana as well. It's actually the tool that we use uh, on the, for the productive woman team for kind of coordinating, getting episodes published and things like that. And it's a great tool for collaboration. And I like that you can, it's very satisfying to move a card from one column to the next one as it goes down the uh, process of getting done. Yes. I wanted to talk with you. I was telling you before we started recording that I looked around your blog a little bit. So you work with female entrepreneurs and leaders, helping them with uh, leadership, marketing, and social media strategy. And you have a great blog on your website, which I will put, I'll put a link to in the show notes. You talk about a lot of things related to those topics, but you, you had one post that we were talking about before we got started about the, uh, the, it's called five mindset problems blocking your provocative opinions. 
And I thought this was so interesting because uh, I think, and maybe this is something to do with the kinds of things that you do with the, the women that you work with, but for a lot of us as women, we have a hard time sometimes speaking up and voicing our opinions provocative or not for lots of different reasons. And this obviously is something you've thought about and written about in this, in this post. Can you share kind of what your experience has been and what you've learned and some of the reasons why maybe we don't speak up and voice our opinions out into the world in the, in the way that we'd like to? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this topic. I think it's really, really important. And I'll start by saying a piece of feedback that I've gotten over my life from my friends and family members is that I'm very direct. Some might say blunt. I really value uh, open, honest, forthright communication. And that's actually fairly unusual, particularly for women. I think we tend to be socialized or raised in, in a way to be people pleasing, to be accommodating, not to rock the boat. Even so, so even it comes down to something as simple as, you know, as if you're with a group of friends and you're trying to decide where to go out for dinner mm-hmm. or where to order take-in and everyone will be like, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. What do you want? Well, mm-hmm. whatever you want. And there's a lot of kind of, we kind of walk, go in circles around each other because we're nervous that if we say what we want, that other people won't want it, but they'll go along with it just to be accommodating. And it ends up kind of being, putting us in this cycle where we don't say, we don't share what we want and neither does anyone else. And it wastes a lot of time and it wastes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And so it's true from uh, what you might call small preferences, like what kind of takeout to order all the way up to, you know, using our voices in work, being leaders in our space, being leaders in our communities. You know, one of the mindset blocks I talk about is, is the people pleasing where we mm-hmm. uh, don't want to, make anyone uncomfortable or make anyone have to do something that they don't want, even though, you know, what they want is their business. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want Thai food and we do, it's on them to share that. And if they decide to go along with Thai food and they secretly hate it, that's not our fault. We're not responsible for their experience. And it's really, really important. I have to remind myself of this a lot because I'm a people pleaser and I, I want everyone to like me all of the time. And so I really have to coach myself to voice my opinion and then kind of shut up and let other people respond as they may and just remind myself to, to stay grounded in my responsibility, which is only ever for myself. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, I think part of the issue there is we, we have this voice in the back of our head that's saying, well, if I speak up and say, well, I want, you know, I want Italian, I really want to go to this place tonight. Um, and other people don't They're whether they go along or not, they're going to think, well, she's so pushy and selfish, you know, she's not the only one here. And we don't ever want to be seen as pushy or selfish because we sort of built that into our, our psyche that that's not a good thing to speak up for what we want. I'm trying to think where I read this quote, the, the, 
it might have been somebody like Madonna that, you know, if you never speak up and say what you want, it's going to be really hard to get it, basically. And I'm paraphrasing there. And sometimes we don't know what we want in the bigger picture stuff. And not knowing what you want makes it really hard to voice it, at least I think so. And then the other thing is just not wanting to rock the boat and be criticized. We worry so much about what other people think. And I can't remember who said we'd worry a lot less about what other people think of us if we realized how seldom they do. So true. <laughs> you know, most of the time we're projecting onto other people that they're judging us if we're speaking up at work or wherever. And they're really probably thinking about their own perspective and, and worrying about what they're thinking. But the other thing women seem to do in this issue of whether opinions or whatever else is it seems like we apologize for our opinions a lot. Mm-hmm. And we preface, if we speak up, we preface with, well, I'm sorry, but, you know. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, they call that mitigating your speech, right? Where you kind of make an excuse for what you're about to say before you say anything. Yeah. Yeah, I want to address a few of the things you mentioned, Laura, because they're really good points. And first off, the whole thing, the fear of being seen as pushy or selfish. I actually find that most of the time people are relieved when someone else says a preference or takes the lead. Mm -hmm. And if they find you pushy or selfish for saying what you want, again, that's their problem. Although I know it's easier to say that than to feel comfortable with that. The second thing, you know, you're right. We, we are out of practice, I think, with knowing what we want. I mean, I certainly, maybe you too, Laura, have been in situations where I really like can't figure out what food I want because I'm so used to deferring to other people and kind of gauging what they want and then saying what I want based on what I think they want and doing this, these like gymnastics routine to make sure everyone is happy and comfortable. And to that, what I've worked, tried to work on is just paying really close attention to myself and then also trying to be, uh, not be attached to the outcomes. So if I say what I want and it's overridden by the majority of the group, that's okay going back to being pushy and selfish, I don't have to insist upon having what I want, but it's worth sharing what I want because I might be able to get it. Like you said, if you don't know what you want, it's going to be hard to get it. And if you don't say what you want, also hard to get it. Yeah. And then finally, you know, we're fear of being criticized. That's very, very real and very uncomfortable. Uh, Nobody likes being criticized, but, and you know, it depends on, you know, a lot of the clients I work with, they are leaders in their industries and they're really making an impact on the lives of other women and they're going to, people are going to disagree. You know, some, this is another quote that I'm also going to not do justice, but you know, if, if, if everyone agrees with you, then you're not really saying anything. Mm. And if you want to lead, you know, leaders are polarizing that comes in the job description and that can be deeply uncomfortable, but it's very, I mean, I think it's inevitable. And so you can, I try to get used to that just with little tiny baby steps. And and remember that like people who are going to be attracted to your opinions are the people that you want around you anyway. And those who are going to be repelled by them. Well, you don't want to probably hang out with them anyhow. Yeah, that's so true. And one of the hard lessons for me to learn, and I, I haven't mastered it yet. It's I think it's a lifetime journey is that other people's reactions to what I say and do are more reflective of them than they are of me. And 
that's not an excuse to be cruel or unkind. That's not the point. But if I speak up, if I express an opinion and someone, you know, reacts negatively, that's their choice. That doesn't, that's not, that's no commentary on my, on the value of my opinion or the value of me as a person. That's just one person's opinion. And everybody gets to think whatever they want to think. They, you know, that's, yeah, that's what's great about the world today. The people in my life, the people I come in contact with, they get to think about me or about anything else, whatever they want to. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible for my actions and my thoughts. And that's a continuously difficult thing for me to keep in mind because like you mentioned I've always been the kind of person I want everybody to like me and I assume nobody does and you know that's a hard place to come from a lot of the time and I have to be able to smile at the the I don't know if it's the little girl in me that feels that way and say well you know yes you feel that way it's not necessarily true but so just go on in and live your life yeah, it is a lifelong lesson. I haven't learned it yet either. And I find particularly, I don't know, Laura, do you identify, like, are you a, kind of an empathic or, or emotionally sensitive person? Uh, well, I, I like to think that I am. I feel like in situations with other people, I'm always kind of aware of how people are reacting to whatever's going on, even if it's not something I'm doing. I'm the same way. And you know, I sometimes joke that I feel like I'm just an exposed nerve ending. I just <laughs> feel a lot of what's going on around me. And that can make it really hard to, to remind myself that like the other people's reactions, other people's experiences, not my responsibility, which yeah. is, it's hard when you feel them, when you can tell somebody's upset and it could have nothing to do with you, but I still want to be soothing yeah. to them. So it, it's like a, it's a constant kind of self coaching to, stay in my lane and stay grounded and not try to solve everyone else's emotional situations. Yeah. My responsibility is to manage my own actions in my own mind, try to be a decent human being and uh, let other people think and feel what they want to. So. Yeah. And what I would add Laura to the, just when it comes to finding our opinions and sharing them is uh, I think we have a, there's, overwhelming overabundance of advice in our world Mm -hmm. on the internet. And I think also people interpersonally, we feel comfortable giving unsolicited advice to others. And I see Mm -hmm. this all the time. You know, I'll be chatting with a couple of entrepreneurs and one of them will say, Oh, I'm struggling with this. And the others will leap in and say, well, have you tried this? Did you do that? Like, what about this idea? And that can be very overwhelming. Sometimes you just want to share how you feel and not try have other people try to fix it. So another thing that I've done, which has helped me become aware of my own opinions, is to not share my opinions or give advice when it's not solicited. Because mm-hmm. I don't want people to try to problem solve to me when I'm not asking for that. And so mm-hmm. I try to walk my talk and not problem solve for them. And it's helped me a lot to become aware when I share an opinion and it, I feel like it's being advised to by others or when I share an opinion and it's just received by others and trying to give that same gift to the people around me. That's been really helpful. Just that awareness with others. Mm, 
Yeah. And sometimes it's helpful, I think, and it depends on the re- the relationship, whether it's personal or business and how close it is. Sometimes if you're in that situation and someone's sharing something, you know, you can say to them, do you want to be heard or would you like some feedback? Yeah. And I love that question. And, and sometimes people will say, I really want to hear what you think. Sometimes they'll say, I just needed to vent. I just want somebody to know this is what I'm struggling with right now. And I love when that happens in relationships where I feel comfortable saying to that person, do you want me to just hear you? Cause I, or do you, would you like me to give you some feedback? Sometimes we just need to ask that question. And it's nice when you're able to do that. Well, Eva, this is, um, I love the conversation that we're having here, but I don't want to keep you here all day. So let me ask this question. We've talked about uh, some of the things you do, what your day is like, the sorts of commitments you have and the kind of work you're trying to do, the tools you have in place to help you do that. With all that in place, do you ever have a day when it just, it all gets away from you or you just get completely um, stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh gosh. These are so challenging because I like to, I want to feel good all the time. I guess everyone Mm -hmm. does. And it's just so much less fun to feel like garbage. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I quote unquote, wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And I just, I don't have the energy or the attention span or the interest in the, the things that I normally do. And it feels terrible. And I, my knee-jerk reaction is to get really frustrated with myself. Mm. And my second knee-jerk reaction is to talk about it and complain about it a lot. <laughs> so sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes talking it out really, like verbally processing really helps me. But a lot of the time I just need to try my best, this is hard, 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 to just to accept what's going on. And instead of forcing myself to keep on keeping on, I try to take a walk. I, I lay down and I listen to a guided meditation. Mm. Those are my, or I take a nap. Those are my three go-tos when I'm just feeling off and things aren't going my way, or even after a long day that kind of went sideways and I just need to take care of myself, those tend to help. Sometimes they don't fix it though. You know, sometimes I wake up from my nap and I still feel really iffy and grumpy and I just have to like grin and bear it. And I tell my partner, Hey, like I'm in a foul mood. You should probably leave me alone. Like I just need to just need to go through this until it's over. Thankfully, it always is over at some point. You know, those days are usually just a day at most, not a longer period for which I'm grateful. But uh, I just hate them, Laura. And yet they show up every now and then. I guess that's part of life. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I I think of um, something that someone uh, who has been pretty influential to me, a a life coach named Brooke Castillo, she talks about the fact that we somewhere in our mind think that we should always feel good. And that if we're not feeling great, something's wrong, 
but it is a normal part of life that about half the time you're not going to feel great and things aren't going to be good. And to fight against that is just a recipe for frustration. And I, I love the idea that, you know, you can do certain things to just sort of reset a little bit. And sometimes when we feel that way, it's because we're tired. Um, or we're just yeah. overstimulated or whatever and taking a, a step back. And I like the idea of lying down and listening to a guided meditation that it, it, for me, those kind of days are such that when I'm feeling that way, I feel like I don't have time to do something like that, mm. but it's when I most need to do it to just get yeah. a little bit of distance to slow my heart rate down a little bit and breathe a little more deeply and, and let myself kind of calm down and get a little perspective on whatever's, you know, making me stressed out or crazy at the moment. But, you know, sometimes we're going to feel like that. And that's why I always love to ask this question to hear how different people respond to it, to know that it's the fact that you're feeling bad doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It's just the human experience that some days are not as awesome as others are. Right. And that's a really, really good point. And, you know, for a long time, I did think that feeling off meant was like a bad sign because, you know, I was, I felt like I needed to, that my emotions mean something and that my, my thoughts and feelings mean something. And that's true, but sometimes they're just, they're so very temporary. And so I've, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself like, just because I'm not excited about work today doesn't mean that I'm in the wrong career or other, some other <laughs> dramatic conclusion, you know, like sometimes yeah. like what, what you said that Brooke, that Brooke says is, is so true. And it makes so much sense logically. Why would you feel exactly the same all the time? You would, that doesn't make any sense. And yet that's a, a silent, often silent expectation we have of ourselves. And I, it's very humbling to be reminded that it's just not how it goes. Yeah, it's just part of part of the human experience. And and I think that's one of the, the nice things. The longer you live, the more you realize that that is just part of life. And when you're in the throes of one of those lousy days, there's usually some little part of my brain that can say, you've felt this way before, it will pass. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah. no, you don't need to, you know, quit your job and divorce your husband and you right. know, put, right. put your kids out for adoption or whatever, you know, is it, you're dealing with at the moment. I love that. Just recognizing that this, this is now I'm feeling it now it's, it's real and it's, you know, it's part of my life now, but I won't always feel this way for me. That's helpful. Yeah. Oh, well, Eva, this has been great. What is, uh, what's on the horizon for you? What do you have coming up either professionally or personally that you're excited about looking forward to? Well, I'm really excited to get married. We were actually going to get married very soon, but, um, we had to postpone because of the pandemic, but still really excited that that's going to be happening. So that's on the personal side and professionally I've had, you know, despite what else, bizarre year 2020 has turned out to be, I've had a really good year professionally in terms of my development. I've invested in some coaching. I've been doing a lot of new things. And so I'm looking forward to the fruits of that labor, all the infrastructure I'm building and, you know, paying the dividends down the line. So it's, um, yeah, I'm feeling just excited to see what unfolds the rest of this year. 
Yeah. Where can people connect with you online? If there's someone who would like to learn a little bit more about you or about what you're doing with your business and, and, you know, might be interested in some of the the work that you're doing, um, or maybe they just have a question or want to follow your blog or something. Where's the best place for someone to find you? Yeah. So I love making new friends. So I would encourage anyone to reach out to me. I just love connecting with new people. So what you can do is you can go to connectwitheva.com and that's where you'll find um, an opportunity to join my email community where I write about heartfelt communication and female leadership. It also has my LinkedIn and Twitter information and my blog information. Perfect. So that's connectwitheva.com. That's right. I'll put that link in the show notes so uh, so anybody can find it. And I suspect people will want to chat with you more. Before we go, do you have any last words for the listener who might be looking for, I don't know, a little help, a little encouragement for um, in getting things done and, and making a life that matters? What, what would you say to her? I would give her the same advice that I try to give myself constantly, which is to be kind to myself and to treat myself with a lot of grace because we're all working really hard and doing the best we can given our circumstances and we are our hardest critics and I find that I'm just not very patient or nice to myself sometimes and so I try to just remember to give myself hugs to like pat myself on the back to like celebrate the wins and just to be really kind to myself. And I find it hard to remember to do that. But that's, that's the advice that I try to take. And that was the, it would be the advice that I, I would give to anybody listen, like, listening. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're doing a good job. You know, keep, it, keep at it. Yeah, I love that. Couldn't say it better myself. Thank you so much, Eva. Thank you, Laura. This was really fun. Well, I really enjoyed talking with Eva and I've enjoyed learning more about her from her website and her blog. I'm very thankful to her for taking the time to share with us her thoughts on how she's making a life that matters and for the interesting suggestions and ideas that she had for the rest of us. Be sure to check out her blog, uh, especially the one, The Five Mindset Problems Blocking Your Provocative Opinions. I'll have a link for that in the show notes. And I found that very interesting and very helpful. If you have any questions for Eva or for me, I would love to hear them. Please share your thoughts or your questions in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 299. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. If you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email those questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com or leave a voice message on the website or the Facebook page. There's a button you can click there to to do that. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. And uh, I think that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me and with Eva. I hope you found something in this episode that is helpful or encouraging to you. And I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Mm -hmm.